Chapter Five of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Five. Birthday dresses. Lady Delacour's history and the manner in which it was related excited in Belinda's mind astonishment, pity, admiration, and contempt. Astonishment at her inconsistency, pity for her misfortunes, admiration of her talents, and contempt for her conduct. To these emotions succeeded the recollection of the promise which she had made not to leave her in her last illness at the mercy of an insolent attendant this promise belinda thought of with terror she dreaded the sight of sufferings which she knew must end in death she dreaded the sight of that affected gaiety and of the real levity which so ill became the condition of a dying woman she trembled at the idea of being under the guidance of one who was so little able to conduct herself, and she could not help blaming her aunt Stanhope severely for placing her in such a perilous situation. It was obvious that some of Lady Delacour's history must have been known to Mrs. Stanhope, and Belinda, the more she reflected, was the more surprised at her aunt's having chosen such a chaperon for a young woman just entering into the world when the understanding is suddenly roused and forced to exert itself what a multitude of deductions it makes in a short time belinda saw things in a new light and for the first time in her life she reasoned for herself upon what she saw and felt it is sometimes safer for young people to see than to hear of certain characters at a distance Lady Delacour had appeared to Miss Portman, the happiest person in the world. Upon a nearer view she discovered that her ladyship was one of the most miserable of human beings. To have married her niece to such a man as Lord Delacour, Mrs. Stanhope would have thought the most fortunate thing imaginable. But it was now obvious to Belinda that neither the title of Viscountess nor the pleasure of spending three fortunes could ensure felicity lady delacour confessed that in the midst of the utmost luxury and dissipation she had been a constant prey to ennui that the want of domestic happiness could never be supplied by that public admiration of which she was so ambitious and that the immoderate indulgence of her vanity had led her by inevitable steps into follies and imprudences which had ruined her health and destroyed her peace of mind if lady delacour with all the advantages of wealth rank wit and beauty has not been able to make herself happy in this life of fashionable dissipation said belinda to herself why should i follow the same course and expect to be more fortunate it is singular that the very means which mrs stanhope had taken to make a fine lady of her niece tended to produce an effect diametrically opposite to what might have been expected 
the result of belinda's reflections upon lady delacour's history was a resolution to benefit by her bad example but this resolution it was more easy to form than to keep her ladyship where she wished to please or to govern had fascinating manners and could alternately use the sarcastic powers of wit and the fond tone of persuasion to accomplish her purposes it was belinda's intention in pursuance of her new plans of life to spend whilst she remained in london as little money as possible upon superfluities and dress she had at her own disposal only hundred pounds per annum the interest of her fortune but besides this her aunt who was desirous that she should go to court and make a splendid figure there had sent her a draft on her banker for two hundred guineas you will i trust said her aunt at the conclusion of the letter repay me when you are established in the world as i hope and believe from what i hear from lady delacour of the power of your charms you will soon be to the entire satisfaction of all your friends pray do not neglect to mention my friend clarence harvey particularly when you write next i understand from one who is well acquainted with him and who has actually seen his rent-roll that he has a clear ten thousand pounds a year belinda resolved neither to go to court nor to touch her aunt's two hundred guineas and she wrote a long letter to her in which she explained her feelings and views at large in this letter she meant to have returned mrs stanhope's draft but her feelings and views changed between the writing of this epistle and the going out of the post mrs franks the milliner came in the interim and brought home lady delacour's beautiful dress it was not the sight of this however which changed belinda's mind but she could not resist lady delacour's raillery why my dear said her ladyship after having listened to all miss portman could say about her love of independence and the necessity of economy to preserve that independence all this is prodigiously fine but shall i translate it into plain english you were mortally wounded the other night by some random reflections of a set of foolish young men clarence harvey amongst the number and instead of punishing them you sagely and generously determined to punish yourself then to convince this youth that you have not a thought of those odious nets and cages that you have no design whatever upon his heart and that he has no manner of influence on yours you very judiciously determine at the first hint from him to change your dress your manners and your character and thus to say to him in as plain terms as possible you see sir a word to the wise is enough i understand you disapprove of showy dress and coquetry and therefore as i dressed and coquetted only to please you now i shall lay aside dress and coquetry since i find that they are not to your taste and i hope sir you like my simplicity depend upon it my dear clarence harvey understands simplicity as well as you or i do all this would be vastly well if he did not know that you overheard that conversation 
but as he does know it trust me he will attribute any sudden change in your manners and appearance right or wrong to the motives i have mentioned so don't novice as you are set about to manoeuvre you for yourself leave all that to your aunt stanhope or to me and then you know your conscience will be all the time as white as your hands which by the by clarence harvey the other day said were the whitest hands he had ever seen perhaps all this time you have taken it into your head that full dress will not become you but i assure you that it will you look well in anything but from the hoops bewitching round the very shoe has power to wound so come down to mrs franks and order your birthnight dress like a reasonable creature like a reasonable creature miss portman followed lady delacour and bespoke or rather let her ladyship bespeak for her fifty guineas worth of elegance and fashion you must go to the drawing-room with me next week and be presented said lady delacour and then as it is the first time you must be elegantly dressed and you must not wear the same dress on the birth night so mrs franks let this be finished first as fast as you can and by that time perhaps we shall think of something superlatively charming for the night of nights mrs franks departed and belinda sighed a silver penny for your thoughts cried lady delacour you are thinking that you are like camilla and i like mrs mitten novel reading as i dare say you have been told by your governess as i was told by mine and she by hers i suppose novel reading for young ladies is the most dangerous oh clarence hireway i protest cried lady delacour as he at this instant entered the room do pray clarence help me out for the sake of this young lady with a moral sentence against novel reading but that might go against your conscience or your interest so we'll spare you how i regret that we had not the charming serpent at the masquerade the other night the moment her ladyship mentioned the masquerade the conversation which had passed at lady singleton's came full into clarence hervey's recollection and his embarrassment was evident not indeed to belinda who had turned away to look over some new music that lay upon a stand at the farthest end of the room and she found this such a wonderfully interesting occupation that she did not for some minutes hear or appear to hear one word of the conversation which was going on between mr hervey and lady delacour at last her ladyship tapped her upon the shoulder saying in a playful tone miss portman i arrest your attention at the suit of clarence hervey this gentleman is passionately fond of music to my curse for he never sees my harp but he worries me with reproaches for having left off playing upon it now he has just given me his word that he will not reproach me again for a month to come if you will favour us with one air i assure you clarence that belinda touches a harp divinely she would absolutely charm 
your ladyship should not waste such valuable praise interrupted belinda do you forget that belinda portman and her accomplishments have already been as well advertised as packwood's razor strops the manner in which these words were pronounced made a great impression upon clarence hervey and he began to believe it was possible that a niece of the matchmaking mrs stanhope might not be a compound of art and affection though her aunt has advertised her said he to himself she seems to have too much dignity to advertise herself and it would be very unjust to blame her for the faults of another person i will see more of her some morning visitors were announced who for the time suspended clarence hervey's reflections the effect of them however immediately appeared for as his good opinion of belinda increased his ambition to please her was strongly excited he displayed all his powers of wit and humour and not only lady delacour but everybody present observed that mr hervey who was always the most entertaining man in the world this morning surpassed himself and was absolutely the most entertaining man in the universe he was mortified notwithstanding for he distinctly perceived that whilst belinda joined with ease and dignity in the general conversation her manner towards him was grave and reserved the next morning he called earlier than usual but though lady delacour was always at home to him she was then unluckily dressing to go to court he inquired whether miss portman would accompany her ladyship and he learned from his friend marriott that she was not to be presented this day because mrs franks had not brought home her dress mr hervey called again two hours afterwards lady delacour was gone to court he asked for miss portman not at home was the mortifying answer though as he had passed by the windows he had heard the delightful sound of her harp he walked up and down in the square impatiently till he saw lady delacour's carriage appear the drawing-room has lasted an unconscionable time this morning said he as he handed her ladyship out of her coach am not i the most virtuous of virtuous women said lady delacour to go to court such a day as this but whispered she as she went upstairs like all other amazingly good people i have amazingly good reasons for being good the queen is soon to give a charming breakfast at frogmore and i am paying my court with all my might in hopes of being asked for belinda must see one of their galas before we leave town that i am determined upon but where is she not at home said clarence smiling oh not at home is nonsense you know shine out appear be found my lovely Sara! cried lady delacour opening the library door here she is what doing i know not studying hervey's meditations on the tombs i should guess by the sanctification of her looks if you be not totally above all sublunary considerations admire my lilies of the valley and let me give you a lecture 
not upon heads or upon hearts, but on what is of much more consequence, upon hoops. Everybody wear hoops, but how few, tis a melancholy consideration, how very few can manage them. There's my friend Lady C., in an elegant undress she passes for very genteel, but put her into a hoop, and she looks as pitiable a figure, as much a prisoner, and as little able to walk, as a child in a go-cart. She gets on, I grant you, and so does the poor child, but getting on, you know, is not walking. Oh, Clarence, I wish you had seen the two Lady R.'s sticking close to one another, their father pushing them on together, like two decanters in a bottle-coaster, with such magnificent diamond labels round their necks. Encouraged by Clarence Harvey's laughter, Lady Delacour went on to mimic what she called the hoop-awkwardness of all her acquaintance, and if these could have failed to divert Belinda, it was impossible for her to be serious, when she heard Clarence Harvey's declare that he was convinced he could manage a hoop as well as any woman in England, except Lady Delacour. "'Now here,' said he, "'is the purblind dowager Lady Boucher just at the door, Lady Delacour. She would not know my face, she would not see my beard, and I will bet fifty guineas that I come into a room in a hoop, and that she does not find me out by my air.' that I do not betray myself, in short, by my masculine awkwardness. "'I hold you to your word, Clarence,' cried Lady Delacour. "'They have let the purblind dowager in. I hear her on the stairs. Here, through this way you can go. As you do everything quicker than anybody else in the world, you will certainly be full-dressed in a quarter of an hour. I'll engage to keep the dowager in scandal for that time. Go! Marriott has old hoops and old finery of mine, and you have all-powerful influence, I know, with Marriott. So go and use it, and let us see you in all your glory, though I vow I tremble for my fifty guineas. Lady Delacour kept the dowager in scandal, according to her engagement, for a good quarter of an hour. Then the dresses at the drawing-room took up another quarter and at last the dowager began to give an account of sundry wonderful cures that had been performed, to her certain knowledge, by her favourite concentrated extract of anima and quassia. She entered into the history of the negro slave named Quasi, who discovered this medical wood, which he kept a close secret till Mr. Dalberry, a magistrate of Surinam, wormed it out of him brought a branch of the tree to Europe, and communicated it to the great Linnaeus, when Clarence Harway was announced by the title of the Countess de Pomenars. "'An emigre, a charming woman,' whispered Lady Delacour. "'She was to have been at the drawing-room to-day, but for a blunder of mine. Ready-dressed she was, and I didn't call for her. Oh, ah, Madame de Pomenars!' "'I am actually ashamed to see you,' continued her ladyship, and she went forward to meet Clarence Harvey, who really made his entree with very composed assurance and grace. He managed his hoop with such skill and dexterity 
that he well deserved the praise of being a universal genius. The Countess de Pomenard spoke French and broken English incomparably well, and she made out that she was descended from the Pomenards of the time of Madame de Sévigné. She said that she had in her possession several original letters of Madame de Sévigné and a lock of Madame de Grignan's fine hair. "'I have sometimes fancied, but I believe it is only my fancy,' said Lady Delacour, "'that this young lady, turning to Belinda, is not unlike your Madame de Grignan. I have seen a picture of her at Strawberry Hill.' Madame de Pomnars acknowledged that there was a resemblance but added that it was flattery in the extreme to Madame de Grignan to say so. "'It would be a sin, undoubtedly, to waste flattery upon the dead, my dear Countess,' said Lady Delacour. "'But here, without flattery to the living, as you have a lock of Madame de Grignan's hair, you can tell us whether La Belle Chevelure, of which Madame de Sévigny talked so much, was anything to be compared to my Belinda's?' As she spoke, Lady Delacour, before Belinda was aware of her intentions, dexterously let down her beautiful tresses, and the Countess de Pomenars was so much struck at the sight that she was incapable of paying the necessary compliments. "'Nay, touch it,' said Lady Delacour. "'It is so fine and so soft.' At this dangerous moment her ladyship artfully let drop the comb. Clarence Hervey suddenly stooped to pick it up, totally forgetting his hoop and his character. He threw down the music-stand with his hoop. Lady Delacour exclaimed, Bravissima! and burst out a-laughing. Lady Boucher, in amazement, looked from one to another for an explanation, and was a considerable time before, as she said, she could believe her own eyes. Clarence Hervey acknowledged he had lost his bet, joined in the laugh, and declared that fifty guineas was too little to pay for the sight of the finest hair that he had ever beheld. "'I declare he deserves a lock of La Belle Chevelure for that speech, Miss Portman,' cried Lady Delacour. "'I'll appeal to all the world. Madame de Pomnars must have a lock to measure with Madame de Grignan's. Come, a second rape of the lock, Belinda.' Fortunately for Belinda, the glittering forfex was not immediately produced, as fine ladies do not now, as in former times, carry any such useless implements about with them. Such was the modest, graceful dignity of Miss Portman's manners, that she escaped without even the charge of prudery. She retired to her own apartment as soon as she could. "'She passes on in unblenched majesty,' said Lady Delacour. "'She is really a charming woman,' said Clarence Hervey in a low voice to Lady Delacour, drawing her into a recessed window. He, in the same low voice, continued, "'Could I obtain a private audience, or a few minutes, when your ladyship is at leisure?' "'I have—I um... am never at leisure,' interrupted Lady Delacour. "'But if you have anything particular to say to me—' as I guess you have, by my skill in human nature. Come here to my concert to-night, before the rest of the world. Wait patiently in the music-room, 
and perhaps i may grant you a private audience as you have had the grace not to call it a tete-a-tete in the meantime my dear countess de pomenars had we not better take off our hoops in the evening clarence harvey was in the music-room a considerable time before lady delacour appeared how patiently he waited is not known to any one but himself have not i given you time to compose a charming speech said lady delacour as she entered the room but make it as short as you can unless you wish that miss portman should hear it for she will be downstairs in three minutes in one word then my dear lady delacour can you and will you make my peace with miss portman i am much concerned about that foolish razor-strop dialogue which she overheard at lady singleton's you are concerned that she overheard it no doubt no said clarence harvey i am rejoiced that she overheard it since it has been the means of convincing me of my mistake but i am concerned that i had the presumption and injustice to judge of miss portman so hastily i am convinced that though she is a niece of mrs stanhope's she has dignity of mind and simplicity of character will you my dear lady delacour tell her so stay interrupted lady delacour let me get it by heart i should have made a terrible bad messenger of the gods and goddesses for i never in my life could like iris repeat a message in the same words in which it was delivered to me let me see dignity of mind and simplicity of character was it not may not i say at once my dear belinda clarence harvey desires me to tell you that he is convinced you are an angel that single word angel is so expressive so comprehensive so comprehensible it contains believe me all that can be said or imagined on these occasions Depart et d'autres but said mr harvey perhaps miss portman has heard the song of what know we of angels i spake it in jest then you are not in jest but in downright sober earnest ha said lady delacour with an arch look i did not know it was already come to this with you and her ladyship turning to her pianoforte played there was a young man in bellanacracy who wanted a wife to make him an aci and thus in gentle strains he spoke her ara will you marry me my dear ali crooker no no exclaimed clarence laughing it is not come to that with me yet lady delacour i promise you but is not it possible to say that a young lady has dignity of mind and simplicity of character without having or suggesting any thoughts of marriage you make a most proper but not sufficiently emphatic difference between having or suggesting such thoughts said lady delacour a gentleman sometimes finds it for his interest his honour or his pleasure to suggest what he would not for the world promise i mean perform a scoundrel cried clarence harvey not a gentleman may find it for his honour or his interest or his pleasure to promise what he would not perform but i am not a scoundrel i never made any promise to man or woman that i did not keep faithfully 
I am not a swindler in love. And yet, said Lady Delacour, you would have no scruple to trifle or flatter a woman out of her heart. Cela est selon, said Clarence, smiling. A fair exchange, you know, is no robbery. When a fine woman robs me of my heart, surely Lady Delacour could not expect that I should make no attempt upon hers. Is this part of my message to Miss Portman? said Lady Delacour. As your ladyship pleases, said Clarence, I trust entirely to your discretion. Why, I really have a great deal of discretion, said Lady Delacour. But you trust too much to it, when you expect that I should execute, both with propriety and success, the delicate commission of telling a young lady, who is under my protection, that a young gentleman, who is a professed admirer of mine, is in love with her, but has no thoughts, and wishes to suggest no thoughts of marriage. In love! exclaimed Clarence Harvey. But when did I ever use the expression? In speaking of Miss Portman, I simply expressed esteem and add no additions, said Lady Delacour. Content yourself with esteem, simply, and Miss Portman is safe, and you too. I presume, apropos, pray, Clarence, how do your esteem and admiration, I may go as far as that, may not I, of Miss Portman agree with your admiration of Lady Delacour? Perfectly well, replied Clarence, for all the world must be sensible that Clarence Harvey is a man of too much taste to compare a country novice in wit and accomplishments to Lady Delacour. He might as men of genius sometimes do, look forward to the idea of forming a country novice for a wife. A man must marry some time or other. But my hour, thank heaven, is not come yet. Thank heaven, said Lady Delacour, for you know a married man is lost to the world of fashion and gallantry. Not more so, I should hope, than a married woman, said Clarence Harvey. Here a loud knocking at the door announced the arrival of a company to the concert. "'You will make my peace, you promise me, with Miss Portman?' cried Clarence eagerly. "'Yes, I will make your peace, and you shall see Belinda smile upon you once more, upon condition,' continued Lady Delacour, speaking very quickly, as if she was hurried by the sound of people coming upstairs. "'But we'll talk of that another time.' "'Nay, nay, my dear Lady Delacour, now, now,' said Clarence, seizing her hand. "'Upon condition, upon what condition?' "'Upon condition that you do a little job for me. Indeed, for Belinda. She is to go with me to the birth-night, and she has often hinted to me that our horses are shockingly shabby for people of our condition. I know she wishes that upon such an occasion, her first appearance at court, you know, we should go in style. Now my dear positive lord has said, he will not let us have a pair of the handsomest horses I ever saw, which are at Tattersall's, and on which Belinda, I know, has secretly set her heart, as I have openly in vain. Your ladyship and Miss Portman cannot possibly set your hearts on anything in vain, especially on anything that it is in the power of Clarence Harvey to procure. Then, added he gallantly, kissing her hand, 
may i thus seal my treaty of peace what audacity don't you see these people coming in cried lady delacour and she withdrew her hand but with no great precipitation she was evidently at this moment as in all the past neither afraid nor ashamed that mr hervey's devotions to her should be paid in public with much address she had satisfied herself to his views with respect to belinda she was convinced that he had no immediate thoughts of matrimony but that if he were condemned to marry miss portman would be his wife as this did not interfere with her plans lady delacour was content End of chapter five read by Lars Rolander